Well, back during the, uh, the last ice age, also known as February, um, you know, a lot of people had a lot of problems. And, you know, uh, a lot of cities had big problems. And the city of Waco, Texas, had a huge, huge problem. They were just depleted in their water supply. As a matter of fact, the mayor went on television, went in the local media and said, we have a real water problem. Now, it wasn't like the ERCOT problem. They hadn't turned off water to the water treatment plant. As a matter of fact, they were pumping twice as much water as they did on normal days. But it was just being depleted. As fast as they would put it in there, faster than that, it's going away. And what they discovered was it was the enormous number of leaks of people who had burst water pipes and water flowing out freely. They even had a couple of water mains, the main pipes that are underneath the city streets that had frozen and burst. And as a result of that, I mean, the water's just flooding out of those like a river. And all of those leaks were draining their water supply. Well, this book is all about joy, and there are some things that can drain our joy if we allow them to. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Nineteen times in four short chapters of Scripture, Paul uses the word joy or rejoice. It is the theme of the book of Philippians. But he says there are things in your life that if you allow them to, they can become drains on your joy, and you can live a joyless life. As a matter of fact, I want to make a statement to you this morning that I think is very important, and that is this. Your spiritual maturity can be measured by what it takes to drain your joy. Your spiritual maturity, your growth in Christ, where you are in the Christian life can be measured quite accurately. And I'm not going to ask you to, to do that, you know, like publicly, but I think it's something you ought to think about as we walk through this. What does it take for my joy just to be drained? What does it take for the joy just to be sucked out of my life? And this morning, we're going to talk about three issues that were a very real part of the Apostle Paul's life. And they are three issues that you face. Many of you face these every single day that can be joy drains. They can cause our joy to dissipate. Now, we're in the book of Philippians, chapter 1. Paul is writing this letter. He is in a Roman jail cell. Paul is in jail again. And so he is there, and, uh, you know, when that's said about most people, not a good thing, but for the Apostle Paul, it's okay. He's in jail again. And uh, he writes this letter to a church that he had founded, that he had preached the gospel, and they started this church. And this church has been very faithful to support him. They've supported him financially. They've supported him with prayers. They have even sent a man to come alongside him while he's in jail to visit him, probably bring him food and, and supplies. Uh, the, the writing supplies that he wrote this letter were probably delivered by that particular man. And he begins to write to the church and tell them about these things that can drain their joy. And here's the first. Difficult circumstances can drain our joy. Look at verse 12. In verse 12. Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and everyone else. And that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Paul says, my current circumstances, if you just look at it on a human level, are not good. 
His circumstances are, the word he uses is imprisonment. He says, I am in this Roman prison. And for most people, that kind of confinement would absolutely drain their joy. It would probably for some of us in this room. But Paul is saying that actually as he looks at his life, that this, this moment in which he is imprisoned, while it didn't look good when it began and no one would desire this, has actually turned out, he says, for the greater progress of the gospel. It's actually turned out to be a good thing. When some of us are confined, we are tempted to let our joy drain away. Whether that confinement is a job that we feel like we have, we want to get out of, but there's no way out, or that confinement is a relationship, or that confinement is maybe a set of responsibilities that have been dumped on you that you didn't bargain for, that you didn't ask for, but all of a sudden you have this heavy load of responsibility. And sometimes when that happens, we feel like we can't move, we can't, we don't have any freedom. And Paul says that under his confinement, actually, what he desired to do was actually making greater progress. Paul's passion was the reason that his life was filled with joy. You see, Paul was passionate, not about his freedom, not about happiness, not about convenience. Paul was passionate about the gospel of Jesus. He wrote to this church at Rome long before he got there, and he said, I was eager to come and preach the gospel. Paul just had this eagerness to come and preach the gospel. Now, he wanted to come as a preacher. He came as a prisoner, but he got to Rome, and he's preaching the gospel. And he has this passion. In Romans chapter 15, verse 20, he says, It has always been my ambition. You can substitute the word passion. My passion to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. And Paul says, I'm here in this prison, and every day there are these guards that come in, and Paul had these chains on his wrist, he had these shackles, and one is shackled to his right wrist, and that's shackled to a guard, and then another is shackled to his left wrist, and that's shackled to a guard. And he says, here I am confined, but they're confined too. I got a captive audience. Guess what we're going to talk about for the next four to six hours? Jesus. That's what we're going to talk about. Now, no doubt... Paul probably got slugged for that a couple of times. There's no doubt about it. Some of those guards didn't want to hear it, but some of them listened. And Paul says that as a result of his confinement, as a result of his being shackled to those guards, the gospel of Christ was being, the cause of Christ was becoming well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard. The Praetorian Guard was Caesar's own personal unit of the Roman army. They were a little bit uh, kind of like the secret service to protect our president. They were, they were like the protection for the emperor. But they were also the most elite soldiers in the Roman army. They were like special forces soldiers. And they were the best of the best. And Paul begins to win the best of the best of the Roman army to faith in Jesus Christ. And so Paul would say, because of my passion, because of the gospel, I am seeing more and more people come to faith in Jesus. But also Paul's perspective gave him great joy. You see, Paul's perspective was that the most important thing was the eternal thing. The most important thing wasn't Paul's happiness. Remember, there's a difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is determined by what happens to you. 
Joy is a spiritual constant in your life. If you if you surrender to the Holy Spirit, if you will allow Him to work in your life, joy is a fruit of the Spirit. It grows in your life. And it is not dependent on what happens to you. It's about what's happening in you, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit. But Paul says, look, what you need to know is this, that my, my passion actually brought about my problems. Paul's passion for the gospel actually brought him problems. It's the reason why he's in jail. Paul had done nothing wrong. He'd committed no crime. But he's in jail for preaching the gospel. Now, you need to understand this. If you get passionate about the gospel of Jesus, it'll bring you some problems. It really will. Faithfulness sometimes brings problems. There is a myth in modern life that says this. Faithfulness to God solves all your problems. It solves your biggest problem, and that's hell. And that's a good thing. But it does not solve all your problems. As a matter of fact, sometimes faithfulness to God brings problems. You need to know that. You need to be aware of it. Because a great commitment to the Great Commission will bring great conflict. I have a friend who's a part of this church. I'm working on this sermon this week. And uh, he tells me this story of something that happened to him this week. He had a client in his business. And they were talking about the business things. I'm not going to mention his name. I don't want to embarrass him. But they're talking about the business things. And then this client begins to tell him about other things. Family problems, relationship problems, just, just a load of, of issues in their life. And my friend says, you need Jesus. And he gives this person his testimony and shares how that she too could become a Christian and become a follower of Jesus. And he said, I knew that there was some resistance there. You know, I'd love to tell you she gloriously prayed to receive Jesus. God said, that didn't happen. As a matter of fact, the person gets up and walks out. He goes to the next client. He goes about his business two days later. Early one morning, he's driving out of his house, driving down his driveway, and he sees something up right in front of him. He's got a gate on his property. And um, right on the other side of the gate, there's a fire burning, smoke rising up. And so... He gets to the gate, he gets out, and there's this metal tub. And inside the metal tub, there is a Bible and a cross on fire. Somebody has set a Bible and a cross on fire in his driveway. Now, he's not accusing that person, but he's putting two and two together. It seems to equal four. Because that's the only person that he told about Jesus this week. I want to just tell you this. A great commitment to the Great Commission will bring you great conflict. But here's what I want you to also know. From experience, I'm going to tell you this. The most joyful moments of my life have been leading other people to faith in Jesus. It is worth the conflict. It is worth the confrontation. It is worth risking it all so that other people will come to know Christ and be saved from an eternal hell and go to heaven to be with God forever. It is worth it. We need to remember one thing about this conflict. The conflict's not with the lost person. The conflict's not with the person who isn't a believer. We have an enemy. It's not other people. Listen to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against other people but against rulers and against authorities, against powers of this dark world and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Difficult circumstances and conflict can drain your joy. You need to remember one thing, who the enemy is. 
We have an enemy. He's the devil. Other people aren't our enemy. Second, he says difficult people can drain our joy. Difficult people can drain our joy. Look at verse 15. Now Paul's told us that his imprisonment and his sharing the gospel with the Praetorian Guard has actually given other believers courage to share the gospel, to tell people what Jesus had done in their life. But he says, but there are also some other folks. And they're also believers. I mean, they're part of the church. Look at verse 15. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. In this I rejoice. Here's what I want you to know. In in the Gospels, in, in, in the book of Acts, in the epistles that Paul writes us, these letters, there were difficult people in the church. Here's what we, we sometimes think, oh man, I just want to get back to the Bible. I wish it could be like it was in the, in the book of Acts where the church was just unified and everybody was together. That's not true. There were problem people in the church. And you know what? As long as you live, there are going to be problem people in your life. Difficult people sometimes can just drain the joy out of your life, can't they? I mean, it happens to all of us. Paul says there were four things about these difficult people that were were very real, and there, there are four causes sometimes that we lose our joy. He says, first of all, I deal with jealous people. He says, I deal with jealous people. In verse 15, he says, some to be sure are preaching Christ from envy, from jealousy. Envy and jealousy is an insidious emotion. It is like an emotional cancer. It will eat away at you. And if you are guilty of being an envious person, you really need to pray about that. I just want to encourage you in that. But all of us are going to be faced sometimes with envious people. Sometimes God gives you a blessing and other people, rather than saying, you know what, God has blessed that person. God could bless me too. They're envious of the blessing. It happens. And it sometimes even happens with believers. The second element of this is not just that they were jealous people, but they were contentious people. He says some preach the gospel from envy and strife. The word strife is a word that means to be argumentative. It means to be constantly complaining. It means to constantly be stirring up. The word strife means for water to be very placid and for for it to be stirred up. And that's exactly what some people love to do. They constantly love to stir up sort of arguments and tension and complaints all around you. There are people like that in your life. There are people like that in my life. And sometimes they just suck the joy right out of your life. Fourth, there were people who were selfish. Look at what he says in verse uh, verse 17. The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition. 
they, there is this sense of ego in this, that they want it to be all about them. They want the spotlight on them. Now, Paul had risen to be a leader in the New Testament church, and some people didn't like that. Some people were, were, um, were envious of that, and so it manifests itself in being in their own selfish ambition. By the way, one of the ways that selfish ambition is manifested in a church is through, uh, is through gossip, just to be honest with you. If you're ever around people and they're gossiping about somebody else or talking about somebody else, um, you just need to move away from that. You just need to move away from it because it's not going to do you any good. You see, here's what the gossip loves to do. The gossip loves to be self-important. Gossip is all about me knowing something that you don't know. And I'm going to tell you so that you know how important I am. So that you, that you know that I know things that you don't know. That's what I want you to know. That's exactly what the gossip does. Let, let, let me tell you something. Somebody comes up to you and they say, can you keep a secret? Here's your, here's your answer. Obviously you can't. It'll end it. I just, it, they'll stop. They'll go to somebody else, but they'll stop with you. And fourth, it's not just selfish ambition, but they are malicious. Paul says they want to cause me distress. The word there is the word affliction. It means to chafe. Those chains on Paul's wrist, they stayed there all the time. And as he moved, they chafed and they rubbed sores on him and they ached and, and they, there, was, there were cuts and he bled and they caused sores and they probably oozed and got infected. And he says, they want to add more distress, more affliction, more chafing to my imprisonment. They were just mean people. Sometimes there are mean people in the church. Now that's uncomfortable for us to admit. But here's what Paul says. Paul says, what then? What then? Here's his response to that. Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed. Here's what Paul said. I'm going to ignore them because I have a greater purpose. I think Paul would say three things to us about, about difficult people. Number one, when you can, just ignore them. Just go, you've got a great purpose, God's God doing a great thing in your life. Just ignore them. Just move on. Second, value what God knows about you more than what people say about you. You need to value what God knows about you, not what other people say about you. Some of us are so concerned about what other people say about us. We're so concerned about our image. We're so concerned about our social standing. We're so concerned about what people say about us. What we need to be concerned about is what God knows about us. And that'll, you'll find great security in that. And finally, love them anyway. Just, just love them anyway. My daughter has some stuffed animals. And I was... I was helping her in her room do some things the other day, and, and I, I thought about the kind of friends that some of us have, and, and I saw this guy. Everybody loves Winnie the Pooh. Everybody loves Winnie the Pooh. I'm Winnie the Pooh, by the way. In that collection of, of characters, I'm Winnie the Pooh. Winnie's just always looking for the next meal. You know, time for something sweet. The only time I don't think about eating is when I'm eating, okay? But Winnie's got some friends. Winnie's got one joyful friend. I love his joyful friend. Who doesn't love Tigger? Hoo-hoo-hoo, you know? 
Everybody loves Tigger, but then he's got some other friends, right? Now, he's got a faithful friend, and that's Piglet. I've never figured out if Piglet is a boy or girl. But Piglet is faithful, but Piglet is fearful. And sometimes fearful people are difficult in your life, especially when they tell you what you can't do when God's telling you to do something. Fearful people will sometimes steal your joy, even as faithful as the fearful person can be. And then there's, well, there's rabbit. Does she, Callie, do you not have a rabbit? Of course not. Nobody wants rabbit. Rabbit is a complainer, right? Nobody's cuddling up a rabbit. Rabbit is the one who always points out the flaw in your plan. And then there he is. Eeyore. Eeyore can find the cloud inside every silver lining. He's a downer. He's negative. He even talks really slow. Let's just be honest. All of us have some Eeyores in our life, right? Ignore them when you have to. Value what God says more than what they say. And love them anyway. Even the Eeyores. Love them anyway. I love those characters. Kind of reminds me of when she was little. But there's also a third aspect of our lives that can cause us to lose our joy. It's very relevant for where we are right now, and that is fear of the future. Fear of the future can drain our joy. You know what? Everybody wants to know the future. Everybody wants to know the future. People go to psychics. They go to fortune tellers. They read their horoscopes. By, by the way, don't do that stuff. It's, it's, first of all, it's a waste of time. There's some demonic activity in some of that, but you need to know this. The devil does not know the future. Only God knows the future. The devil does not know the future. He is not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. So stop giving him credit that he's not due. But here's what you do need to know. And that is that Paul faced the future that was uncertain with joy. Halfway through verse 18, the subject uh, verb tense actually changes. And so halfway through verse 18, there's a new thought. He ends verse 18, so it says only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this, I rejoice. That's present tense. New tense of verbs. Yes, I will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Christ Jesus, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything but that with all boldness, Christ will even now always, always be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul says, I'd like to get out of this prison. I've got things I'd like to do. I've got, I've got places to go and sermons to preach. And I, I want to I encounter more and more people with the gospel of Jesus. He says, and I know this will turn out for my deliverance. Now, there's something interesting about that word. The word deliverance there is the word soterion. It's translated many times salvation. And so what he's saying is this. He's not saying, I know I'm, I'm getting out of jail. I know Caesar's going to let me off when I stand before him because I've appealed my case to him. That is not what he's saying. He's saying, whatever happens, it's going to work out for my 
ultimate deliverance. Either I'm going to live and I'm going to preach Christ or I'm going to die and I'm going to go to heaven. He's going to talk about that next week in the sermon that we're going to talk about. So here's what he says down at the end. Whether by life or by death. He says, I don't know what the future holds. Paul did not know what the future held and neither do you. For some of us, that causes us tremendous anxiety. But for some people, it gives them hope and joy. And it just, just depends on the way you face things. But Paul does give us a hint on how you face it that gives you hope and joy. He says at the end of verse 20, he says that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body. The word exalted is sometimes translated magnify. As a matter of fact, some of you read from translations of the Bible that the word there is magnify. Now, you magnify something for two reasons, one of two reasons. Either it's very, very small, very, very tiny, and you look at it under a microscope so that it is magnified and it looks bigger than it is. Or you look at something through a telescope and you look at it and while it is very distant, the telescope helps to bring it near. Paul is using that word in the telescope sense of the word. You know, like you look through a telescope, let's say you point it at the North Star and you look through the telescope and you say, twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. And if the star could answer what Polaris would say back to you is, I am a flaming ball of thermonuclear energy 50 times larger than your sun. There's your twinkle, twinkle. Because it's greater even than, it's 50 times larger than our sun. And you look through a telescope and you see its magnitude. You see its greatness. When, when Paul says, I want to magnify the Lord, what he's saying is, he's very distant from some of you, and I want to bring him very near so that you see his greatness. That's what Paul lived for. Was so that other people would see the greatness of our God. And some of us have our hearts set on such trivial pursuits. It is no wonder that we fear the future. But Paul said, hey, it doesn't matter what the future holds because here's what I know it holds. It's going to be Christ no matter what. I'm going to live for Christ. I'm going to die and be with Christ. I can tell you that you can predict one thing about your future and only one thing. You can only predict one thing about your future. And that's whether or not you will spend eternity in heaven or hell. You see, if you've given your life to Christ, if you've turned from your sin and repentance and totally trusted that he died on a cross for your sins, and if you believe that he was raised from the dead, the Bible says that if you ask him to come into your life and forgive you, that you'll be saved. Here's what the Bible says. For all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. All means all and all means you if you trust Jesus. I know for certain that when I die, I'm going to heaven. Some of you in this room nod your head. You're going, I know for certain when I die, 
I am going to heaven. The Bible says that these things are written so that we might know that we have eternal life. Not wish, not think, not even hope, which is a good thing. But know that you have eternal life. You watch this morning the testimony of one young lady and you heard the testimony of six other people who have transferred from dark to light, from death to life, from hell to heaven. And because of Jesus, they can face the future without fear, but knowing that he has them in his hand. Let's pray together. Father, all of us have circumstances and people sometimes and just an outlook on life that sometimes could just drain away our joy. Lord, help us to focus on what is eternally important, and that is you. Lord, I pray for people in this room this morning who need to receive Jesus, that this needs to be the day, because we don't have tomorrow. This needs to be the day that they receive Christ. And I pray they'll have courage. I pray they'll step out from that seat this morning and come forward, take someone by the hand, go to a private place to pray and, and honestly deal with Jesus this morning. I pray for others who watch those baptisms and who know that they need to follow you in obedience, in baptism, that this would be the day to make that commitment even right now. Lord, I pray that this morning we would resolve to follow you. In Jesus' name.